Welcome to Talawa, another wonderful episode of Talawa. I'm your host, Latoya. Today, we're with Kesey Gardner, who is an educator, marketing consultant, and storyteller. Her blog is hailed as one of the top marketing blogs in Jamaica. Her blog is actually called KesiGardner.com. Kesey is a storyteller who is passionate about empowerment and the digital world. She believes in standing out above the noise. She's very passionate about the space that we have online. And she believes that Jamaica is 10 years behind. Uh, Kessie, that's pretty interesting and something I agree with. Uh, Why do you believe that Jamaica is 10 years behind in the digital world? Well, I mean, I talked about it um, at the Jamaica Music Conference a little bit uh, last week. But pretty much how I feel is that you know, people aren't, and I'm speaking mostly about maybe like the middle managers and, um, you know, maybe some senior executives. They're not utilizing the internet as much as they could. Um, most people, you would think, get email on their phone. A lot of people don't get email on their phone. Um, they rarely check email. They rarely respond to email. And, you know, I still have clients who call me on the phone to have a conversation about something that could have easily been an email. Um, people are not backing up their files. People are not using the cloud. Mm-hmm. Um, stuff like that, which is... And then people aren't using the power of the internet to monetize. Mm-hmm. Um, people are afraid of, the, of Facebook, uh, Zuckerberg, and you know, feeling that they're, you know, big brother and being watched and being, you know, observed. Mm -hmm. But the thing is, is that it's a part, well, it's a part of what I do. It's a part of my using the tools that I have in order to gain visibility and to, you know, attract opportunities and um, clients. Um, And I wish people would use it more. And I I mean, and it's really about personal branding too, right? Mm-hmm. Um, creating, uh, standing out, like I said, standing out above the noise, creating a story, a narrative about who you are as a person, because we're all special, we're all different, we all have our unique talents and abilities, um, and you know we should tell the world about them. Um, why do we need to wait until we get an interview on TVJ or, you know, to have page two snap us why not create your own interest buzz online yeah i totally agree the world has changed jamaicans here and abroad and all our listeners you might be aware that the world is and has changed and we are no more uh, able to create our own brands and tell our own stories without waiting on traditional means of doing so and kessie she has a rich background, which she's going to tell us about in terms of what you do, Kessie, and where are you from? Okay, well, I was born in Jamaica, Kingston, and then I moved to New York when I was 16 because my mother got a job with the UN. And, you know, it kind of changed my, my whole life. It changed my whole world because, you know, growing up here, you know, I went to Andrews, the most exciting thing we would do is maybe go to a blowout or something like that or maybe go to the country mm-hmm. for the week or something like that but living in new york and um I, mean, I was surrounded by art i was surrounded by music um intellectuals because and and you know multi multinational people you know uh, i was hanging out with people from from the UK, from Italy, from France, I mean, like, you name it, you know, mm-hmm. and so I opened, it opened my world, to, um, and then I was going to school on Central Park West, which is a very um, upscale neighborhood, um, a couple blocks away from the National History Museum, so, you know, it just, it just really opened my world to, to everything, not just not just New York, but the world in general. Because, I mean, you go and, you know, look at the exhibits, you know, the, the Egyptian statues, the dinosaurs even. I mean, it was, just, it was just incredible. And so it really opened up my mind to all the possibilities 
and my mother i think my mother had hoped that i would have gone and to like a ivy league school because of my time at that, mm-hmm. at that private school but um i kind of just decided that i wanted to go to art school because i had always been a creative always painting or drawing you know even as a child i was always like performing so like i was doing fashion shows and plays and dance recitals and stuff like that so you know it was always very much a part of my life and so just being being in new york you know which is very rich of art um it just seemed like the path that i wanted to to go on so when you were here in jamaica did you know that you wanted to be in the creative field yes i always kind of knew um mm-hmm. i never felt like from you know even as a a teenager i never really felt confident in my other skill sets mm-hmm. even though i write mm-hmm. and I geography and in the environment and stuff like that i always felt very confident about my drawing and painting skills and i mean my father always encouraged it because he's an architect so he always encouraged me and motivated me and if i needed like art supplies he would bring me art supplies and stuff like that so and it was kind of our way of bonding as well um i mean so much so that my sister is a painter like that's that's what she does she's a fine artist so that's awesome um, yeah so it just kind of seemed like the right path for me okay great no i read your bio and i see that you've been through a series of changes always in the creative field but different um avenues as it relates to your career could you take us through your uh, career path when after university to what you're doing now please okay that's gonna take all day but <laughs> <laughs> all right so i actually wanted to be a children's book illustrator believe okay. it or not. what i wanted to do i wanted the freedom of creating like i said telling a story and sort of mapping that out mm-hmm. but then when i graduated i realized that that was a pipe dream and that a jamaican with no papers living in new york could not possibly make any money and survive being a children's book illustrator but then i also got pregnant right so when i got pregnant i had to make a decision you know well what's next right so i decided to come back home to jamaica i had my daughter up there but then i came back to jamaica and i was working with my brother who was at the time a web developer and he was like yo come at that time it was like you know the whole dot com era where everybody was doing websites and making a ton of money and stuff yeah so he <laughs> come you know we so we basically set up the home our home our family home um as a an office downstairs and i was able to like have my daughter with me while i was working and it was great um but then i decided obviously that i wanted to do more so i did more i went i did work at other places and then eventually um i started working at mccann erickson which if you work in advertising you know that mccann erickson is like one of the biggest agents global agencies in the world and so having that opportunity was like an amazing eye opening experience getting to work on like with major clients and you know having a, a mentor to like guide me and and give me you know advice and stuff like that was good um and then that led me obviously to working at digicel one being one of the first in-house graphic designers that they ever had um they never had one before they always had the agency mm-hmm. and sort of you know helping them create coming up with ideas and stuff like that then like i said i had the accident and so that was kind of like uh i opened up for me the car accident forced me to sort of look at where i was in my life and say you know is this something that you want to continue doing um i was in a i was in a very serious relationship at the time we were living together we were planning to get married and sort of put a jolt and a halt on on all our plans because we were both in the accident mm-hmm. and you know it both affected us and then physical aspects of that so 
Um, I received a whip, whiplash uh, concussion and actually I had a brain injury as, as well. And so my attention span, you know, as I said before, it's diminished um, physically. Like I would, couldn't sit for long hours and, you know, very forgetful, not able to concentrate, not able to focus, stuff like that. So I had to learn the skills to sort of cope with that. Mm-hmm. But at the time, it was so hard because, you know, working in advertising, you know, you're working 12, 15 hour days and people are not always very understanding because yeah. I was a contractor. I wasn't a full-time employee, so I didn't get the benefits of, you know, sick leave and stuff like that. And although they were very understanding, my boss was very understanding and very supportive. And he was like, you know, just take a break. I knew that I would not be able to go back and thrive in the way that I was before um, with all of these physical um, problems. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, that was something that made me have to like decide, well, okay, am I going to continue um, doing this? And so I became very depressed, very sad. I felt like I, you know, not only was I not able to function I was very tired all the time and sleeping and all of that but then you know my relationship was also falling apart so it was kind of like you know what am I going to do what is the next step and my mother my well both my parents but especially my mother was very like well you know this this graphic design thing is not making you a lot of money even though at the time I was making the most money that I had ever made in a job, being a graphic designer, because digital pays very well. Um, but she's like, you know, this is not, this is not sustainable. You know, if you continue like this, you're going to die at 50, you know? And so she said to me, she had always kind of said, you know, when are you going back to school? When are you going back to school? And I was like, I'm never going back. I'm never doing my master's. I'm never, you know, I'm never doing that. And she was like, but, you know, you are an intelligent person. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, let's be honest, graphic design is not considered the most respected field in Jamaica, um, mm-hmm. really a low level paying job. I mean, unless you become a creative director, graphic designer is not, it's not any, it's not a, you know, any high level thing. So she was kind of like, you know, you decided to do this art thing, but you know, what's next? kind of thing and so I started to look at options I started to look at what I could do I wanted to be a curator that's really what I wanted to do that was like you know my thing because I loved art so I interned at the gallery for a couple of months and I you know I got my recommendation even applied to schools I actually got in to NYU to do mm-hmm. <laughs> to be an art curator so it was you know it was just so funny but then I had to be realistic as well and say you know well I'm, if I do this I'm gonna be back doing the same thing right well, thank god that you're you know you both made it out of the accident and sometimes life is like that we have so much going on and it's going when and then boom everything changes and what you said and what your mom said what's next which is a very um, pertinent question that we ask ourselves when we're going through that transition from you know especially when we're going through what we might consider at the time one of our biggest challenges if not our biggest challenges at that time you mentioned though that your love for art um would not have sustained you um based on you know what was happening in jamaica at the time and digital um graphic art it's not being as respected or paid as well uh was it a conflict for you though internally to have that struggle between passion and just being practical as it relates to your career well you know that's an interesting question because you know they tell you you should only do things that you're passionate about right Mm -hmm. and a lot of the times we do we pursue careers because it's something that you know we love art so we say okay we're going to be a designer or a painter or whatever but sometimes what happens is if you're doing something for a long time, you start to begin to hate it, you know, because it's, even though you might love it in the beginning, you start to resent it because you're not getting the level of satisfaction that you wanted. 
And it was actually a good time to change the careers because now everybody's a designer. Um, it's so easy to download Photoshop or, you know, some kind of editing app and, you know, people can't think they're a designer and they don't realize that like you, know, you actually have to go to school <laughs> to learn about these things so I felt like I needed to change oh. who I was and and who people defined me as mm-hmm. if that makes sense oh, okay you know because you know they kind of put you know in a box and they say okay you're a designer you're a designer and I was like well you know but I'm other things too <laughs> you know like <laughs> Mm-hmm. I can write too, uh, you know. Um, so, it, so you needed that freedom to yeah. explore creativity on a whole. Yeah, and I and I feel like people need to understand like there are different sides of people. Like you're not always you're not just one thing, or you shouldn't always be one thing. And then, I mean, like. Just because you wanted to be, like I said, it's like I want to be a children's book illustrator when I was, you know, 18, 20. doesn't mean that I'm going to want to be a, the same thing at 40. Like, yeah. people change, people have different interests. And it's not that I don't design anymore because I've had to do things. And because even like when I was working at an agency, I'd, I'd have to sometimes design. I'd have to go in there and fix stuff and lay out stuff because that's what, just needed to be done so I mean I actually was able to use the skills to be a triple threat because I could strategize I could I could design and I could write as well so okay. yeah so you know I don't know if that answers the question but yeah well go Casey <laughs> <laughs> well um going back to what I um, interjected you said that you went for your master's right what did you get the master's in and what happened after in terms of career? Okay, so going back to school was like a real eye-opener for me. Because like I said, even though I went to art school and I, and I did get a very rich education at Pratt. I mean, we studied philosophy. We, you know, we studied literature. And, I mean, so it wasn't just art. I mean, they made sure that we had a very rich education. But going back to school in my 30s, and I was very fortunate too because it was a an evening, like an evening class. So there were a lot of people who were working, you know, who were older people like me. It wasn't kids or anything like that. So I was very fortunate where that was concerned. Where was this but school? It was, um, I went to Notre Dame of Maryland University uh-huh. in Baltimore. Oh, okay. So, but it was, it was hard. I'm not going to lie to you. It was very hard because I would have to take the train. I'd have to take the cab, the train, and then another train. So I'd have to travel like two hours every day. Well, not every day, sorry. Twice a week to Baltimore from Maryland. And then sometimes coming back, sometimes I'd miss the train or the bus. Mm-hmm. Uh, or have to stand in the snow and wait for the bus to come for an hour. So it, was, it wasn't easy. <laughs> yeah, especially that snow part. It must be hard on you. Because right now, look at breeze blue at Jamaica all the way freeze. So can you imagine? Exactly. Um, and I, we had a, had a very tight budget. I was living in my brother's basement and sometimes I didn't have heat. So I was cold a lot of the time. Sometimes having to use pennies to pay my bus fare and train fare and stuff like that. So it was hard. But the interesting thing that happened is that my mother, she had a close friend for years. They had spent some time in Jamaica, a couple they were from he's from Detroit I think originally but um he was living in DC and he was working at an NGO and he said I don't know he said in passing I think you know we were having dinner or something he said in passing you know I'm looking for some interns to come and help me at my my NGO um you know I need communications people I need social media people I need grant writing people you know that sort of thing so um i said okay i'll do it i didn't have any money i didn't know how i was going to get to dc from maryland um and some days trust me some days i didn't i didn't i wasn't sure how i was gonna get home but i did it um i think it was like two or three days a week i'd go there and i mean it just kind of opened up 
once again my world because first of all is that it was an international NGO they have programs in Africa so i had to learn all about the african countries and you know in communications and like pr and stuff like that you need to know who people are right so if they're having an event they'd have the diplomats come you know dignitaries ambassadors so i would have to know who is who and be able to you know tell them tell him okay this is so and so from so and so which made me have to like research and get information and stuff like that so by the time i graduated like i didn't even go to my graduation cuz by the time i graduated i was already working there like i was already they were already putting in my application for me to get my work permit okay that's great yeah so from there you transitioned you said that you spent uh, a couple of years there um i spent 2 years there mhm and it was awesome i wrote op-eds for for the CEO for Huffington Post. Um, I ran uh, donor loyalty campaigns on social media and digital marketing, did direct marketing campaigns. We put on events. I mean, we did, we did everything, including like an, a gala they have every year. And we raised, you know, thousands of dollars for, for the NGO, for charity. Yeah. Um, you know, I met I met presidents and you know celebrities. I mean, it was really it was really an incredible experience. Yeah. Um, and then I worked with women mostly, and um, you know, having a female mentor very different from having a male mentor. How so? Because they understand, like they understand. You know, you have your family. They understand oh. you. You know your relationship. Like we as women have to deal with endure so much more than men do. Like I mean, I'm not saying that men don't have stuff to endure, but we. I mean, we have to balance everything. We have to take care of our children. We have to take care of the house. We have to take care of our relationship. We have to take care of ourselves. Mm-hmm. You know, and there is that expectation. And so when I I mean, I remember literally going to my boss and saying, "Look, my daughter is doing." A sh- I mean, this is America, right? They don't have GSAT in America, right? So I'm telling her that, "Yo, my daughter is doing this entrance exam to to high school, and she needs me to come and help her and be there and support her." She was like, "Okay." <laughs> You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. do what you gotta do. You know, family comes first. Da da da. So, <laughs> that's yeah, a I dream. Mean, she was very supportive um, yeah. because she had three children. She had three girls, and you know, she was doing the same thing, juggling her mm-hmm. house and her husband and her three kids. And I mean, she would drive like two hours every day from outside of DC every day. Mm-hmm. She'll come to work. Um, she wake up at five o'clock in the morning every day. So you know she was very understanding. Yeah. Um, but that was really the main reason why I left was because you know my daughter was here and she kind of needed you know she needed me she needed her mother. Um, yeah. So you know it was a hard decision to make. It's probably one of the hardest decisions I have ever made because I really enjoyed working there and um we just got to do so much i can say as a creative person that's a dream because you mentioned that you wrote for the huffington post win win yeah speeches for him as well we put together an, uh, two annual reports while i was there and i mean i had all like creative um control over what it looked like you know um yeah yeah that's magical so it must yeah. have been difficult for you to leave that, you know, for many that would have been a, a dream job um, yes. to come back to Jamaica, but you had to do what you had to do. Yes. What was the transition like coming back to Jamaica and how did you get to what you're doing now? Okay, so it was really hard. I got a job at an agency and I did enjoy it, but it was, it was hard because I didn't have the same control that I did before over certain things. and um. You know, it's the same, the same thing. Like I was saying, you know, this male dominant mm-hmm. society where, you know, you're not respected because you're a woman. Because of the kind of personality I have, I'm not very well. I'm a little different now, but um, back then I wasn't very assertive. I was kind of very um, unsure 
um, of what I was doing. And so I didn't fight back as much. But there were days when I really got angry and upset because with advertising and just like in digital and like design trends in general is that things are constantly changing. And if you're not keeping up with stuff and not looking at what's going on around you and in the world, a lot of the times you get, you get left behind. And um, I kept wanting to change things. I kept wanting, you know, things to look fresh or newer. And it was kind of hard because I was, you know, I was not the creative director. I was, a, I was just a measly account executive. Um, and so, you know, basically a paper pusher kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, had no real creative control. And then when I tried to, like, have more control, there was a lot of pushback. Mm-hmm. And so when it was just like, I, I'm, I've had enough of this. So I just left. Like I just basically left. And I do I don't re- recommend anybody doing this, you know, but you know, do you two weeks and stuff. But I just left because it was just too much for me at the time and I felt like, you know, you get older and you wanna do your own thing. And so it kinda has led me to where I am now, where I have full control over all creatives that I do. What we do is not necessarily client based i mean it is meaning we have we have clients that we serve so what love not likes does is we create experiences for bloggers and um influencers and when i say experiences i mean like we'll for example we'll be invited to cover an event you know for example apathon had their night tour the other day with gregory isaacs we would go and either write about the experience or vlog about the experience do instagram stories about the experience so we're basically showing uh, you know the audience or the 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 consumer what it's like to be there it's called it's experiential marketing it's what it's called but then it's from our perspective so we have all creative control and although the client i've never actually had a client that has said we don't like this change it well maybe once but it's pretty much on board with whatever we're doing and supportive of whatever we're doing and so it's kind of a dream job in that i've always said i want to get paid to be myself and so now we are actually getting paid to be ourselves okay um so that i was a client or you know a prospect uh what would be the top three things that you could do for me? Oh, okay. So basically what we do is we create a buzz. And what we, what we like to do is we like to be in, in niche places or you know, not, not the mainstream. So, for example, what we're doing for Reggae Month now is we're covering events that maybe have not gotten a lot of press or not a lot of coverage, mm-hmm. but they're still good events. It's cultural activities. So they've had like... They've had a film series we've done and we've covered that. They have a, a lecture series we've done that as well. So we kind of try to be in spaces that are not mainstream. Mm-hmm. Um, and don't, maybe the, the main, the, the major influencers haven't touched or covered. So we definitely do that. So we create a buzz online mm-hmm. for you mm-hmm. and we create spaces. So meaning we build, we kind of build communities around the events and then every one of us has our own community because that's how we're able to monetize our platforms is having our own communities and so we're able to motivate and and inspire our communities to to become patrons of the events mm-hmm. also you know being a creative i try to make it look nice <laughs> so okay. so you know we'll have we'll do a we might do a photo shoot there so it might look like just a regular play event, right? But then mm-hmm. we'll go do something cool. Like I think um, at the Exodus launch on my Facebook page, they actually took a picture of me and the Exodus thing was in the background. Fine. So like we try to do creative things that are mm-hmm. interesting. I mean, I, like I said, we're not the major influencers and we're not trying to be major influencers yeah. because they have their space. We are... I would say micro influencers, and so our communities are smaller, but they're much more invested. Effective, yeah, that's awesome. So, for all those who you know possibly looking into Kessie services, she will create a buzz for you. She will create a space, might be micro, but so much more invested and effective, 
and also she doesn't make it look good because presentation matters in this uh, digital world. Yes, and then I also, I mean, I do a lot of things, but I also, you know, we have we have a network, so it's not just you know five or six people. If you want to reach a wider audience and it is within the niche of the network you know if it's travel lifestyle um also music is a part of what we a part of the network um then i can disseminate the content disseminate the information the press release or whatever to those people in the network and if it works for their niche they will post on their platforms and these are like media platforms yeah. like blogs but not personal blogs blogs like you know lifestyle blogs so when you want to say Kessie, may I try to get an interview with Mortimer? You can link me to Mortimer. <laughs> I don't have links to the artist. Okay. All right. I, I, do, mm-hmm. I do PR well. I do PR for, for like models and the influencers that I manage. Mm-hmm. I do PR as well. Okay, that's awesome. So you spoke about your career um in detail, which is very interesting. Um and we had we also mentioned some of your successes, achievements. Uh, could you list a few and tell us where people can find you online before we move on to the challenges? My achievements. Mm-hmm. So you mean like career-wise or just? It can be career? both. Um, I can list all the achievements. Okay, so. Not all of them, just uh, a few. Important so, ones? Yes. Okay, so like for me, I don't know what how you gauge achievement, but for me, it's being recognized in my community, right? So. Mm-hmm. For one, I was asked in 2014, I was asked to be a judge and presenter at the Blog Award, which I thought was really cool. I actually presented an award to Afaya and Monique Kennedy for their blog that they had at the time, which was really, a really cool lifestyle blog. Um, they don't have it anymore, but at the time it was a really fun um, initiative and stuff. And then 2019, I was nominated by Digital Jamaican as a micro-influencer to watch in you know, in that year. And that was incredible for me because I had been writing about marketing, advertising, social media, public relations for about seven years at the time. And and I'm not saying nobody was reading my blog, but not being, I was never recognized publicly. So, I mean, like I, I would write about YouTubers, for example. I would interview YouTubers. This is before being on YouTube was like a thing, right? Um, you know, I would write about the trends in social media and stuff like that. Um, and, you know, now being being recognized for that, for my willingness to share my, to share information about social media and tips and personal branding and, you know, all these things, it was, it was really like an eye-opener for me. And it was almost like the catalyst for me to start Love Not Like because, out of that, you know, because there were other people in the group, we st- that's when we went on the trip, and that's what kind of, you know, mm-hmm. positioned us and positioned me, you know, to say, all right, we're gonna do this, and we're gonna we're gonna monetize, we're gonna allow you to monetize, and we're gonna allow you to have opportunities where you can monetize your platform, and live this digital nomad lifestyle. Okay. And where can our viewers, listeners, find you online? So I'm everywhere, K-E-S-I Gardner, G-A-R-D-N-E-R, on Instagram and Facebook. And then on Twitter, I am K-E-S-I-A Gardner, G-A-R-D-N-E-R. And then you can go to my website, um, caseygardner.com, and I also have the storytelleragency.co, which is the agency um the agency's website mm-hmm. okay all right so that's awesome congrats on all your achievements i know you haven't listed all of them because i have a list here but that's fine we'll tell our viewers about it in um uh text written form Let's speak about your challenges. What are some of the things, other than the car crash, that you thought would break you? This is a little, <laughs> a little personal, but um, like I remember I said earlier that I suffered from depression. So depression is a, has been something I've been dealing with since I was about 17, 18 years old. And I actually moved to New York 
and had to deal with the change of like the environment you know i think the first like month i was there there was a snowstorm like eight feet of snow you know it was just ridiculous um and so i realized that i was i had I had that tendency to get depressed during the winter time. But then also, I think I think there is a stigma that if you are creative, you do have the tendency to suffer from depression. And so I've had bouts of depression throughout my life that have sort of immobilized me, crippled me, crippled my growth, crippled my self-confidence. And, you know, we say it's clinical, right? But a lot of it is environmental and also just not having people who understand you and get you and get your quirkiness and stuff like that. So that has been, I think, my biggest challenge is dealing with that. You say you're dealing with it still or it's something that you... With depression, I mean, it's not something that goes away. What I had to do is I had to go to therapy and I had to learn the skills in order to cope with it. Um, And so like... For example, before when I would get depressed, I would sort of just curl up in a ball and, you know, because it usually would be because of something that happened, right? Mm-hmm. So say, okay, so I didn't win the pitch and I didn't get the account. You know, I get depressed, sleep in my bed for days because I didn't win, right? Um, and then I come from a very, a family of very high achievers. Everybody in my family is very, you know, my father, was a, my grandfather was a principal, you know, both my grandparents were teachers and stuff like that. So there's that, sort of like and my mother was the head girl of her her high school and then of course she worked for the UN and you know and she was like she was like a an an executive, you know. She had a very high level job. So there's that like you know that there's that bar, you know, you need to you need to reach that bar. And so always feeling like I couldn't achieve that and mm-hmm. couldn't live up to expectations of that. Mm-hmm. Um, and being crippled by that and lacking self-confidence and not feeling good enough and not feeling like, you know, I deserve anything. Um, but I think it was mostly because, like I said before, being in a, a male-dominant society where you have to be with men telling you that, you know, you don't know what you're talking about. Just go sit on over there and take notes. I mean, I've had men, you know, throw papers at me. <laughs> you know? Throw papers? Like, yeah, like presenting my strategy and they like just throw it on the floor like this is crap you know mm-hmm. I've had men corner me in you know in the office late at night when you're working so you know just having to deal with constantly being criticized and and I mean it's it's not even like criticized because of you as a person it's criticized because of your gender that is just ridiculous you know and then it kind of affected even the way that I dress because I didn't want to attract too much attention, right? So I would never dress too, never dress too sexy, you know, never wear makeup, never, you know, get my hair done because, you know, it just would attract unnecessary mm-hmm. attention. But as you know, it doesn't matter. You could have on a hairnet and a crocus bag. You're still going to get people trying mm-hmm. to, you know, say mm-hmm. things to you. So therapy helped because... The kind of therapy that I did, I think it's called cognitive behavior therapy, that it teaches you how to deal with life, basically coping skills. So like, you know, okay, so you didn't win the pitch, now what? You know, what's the next? And then kind of weighing the pros and cons of everything. And also just gratitude, right? Like feeling grateful for for having what you do have. And also, you know, I, I meditate as well. So, you know, the meditation sort of helps you to kind of like just Mm -hmm. come back to a certain level and you know also having balance so now me being self-employed and doing my own thing I no longer have to worry about Mm -hmm. why aren't you here like it's nine o'clock why aren't you here you know or having to ask permission to do something like this because I remember I was interviewed and I had to ask my boss permission can I can I do this you know like no not having to ask permission from anybody anybody at all i can do whatever i want and say whatever i want and not have to worry about you know somebody giving me a hard time um i mean and i've even had people say to me um bosses say to me well you know you're you're too concerned about your personal brand and i'm like but you hired me because of my personal brand like you hired me because of who i am online Mm -hmm. and who i present myself to be and because of my achievement Mm -hmm. so there's a lot coming up from what you said that I would like to question. 
Um, <laughs> but, uh, unfortunately, um, we have committed to 30 minutes. Um, I do want to ask, I think, one question. Mental health is, is very important, something that we ask, um, often gloss over, and we don't recognize that we need the assistance and we need the breaks and we need to take control or probably transition or have a change, like you change from being an employee to an entrepreneur and that's probably was the best move. Um, so that's something that we need to address and we will speak about hopefully in future episodes of Tala where like have a, a whole series on it, which I will dis, um, discuss with my co-host. You said that you were working in US for a while and you did feel as if you had the creative control. Were you, do you realize the differences in, um, the workforce in Jamaica versus, you know, in America, were you as depressed in America or what happened in terms of your mental state in both countries? Um, I, I did have bouts of depression in America, but I think it was more to do with lack of funds than anything else. Mm-hmm. Like not having the money to go, like I said, you know, literally having to scrape at the, to the bottom of the bag to try to find the money to go for transportation it was hard dealing with the work i'm not saying you know all roses i did have to deal with discrimination even in working in an african you know african focus yeah um i did have to deal with chauvinistic men particularly african men can be a bit chauvinistic Mm -hmm. um you know, I had to deal with I, I had to deal with a lot of the same things. I wouldn't say working in America. I think people have this impression like working in America is like, you know, the Mecca and um all your problems will be solved. No, no, it's the same. In it's fact same. I think it's oh. probably worse working in America because even though I did have creative control, I also had to deal with a lot of other issues like, you know, Americans feeling threatened by me. Because they're like, you know, why are you here? Like, why do you have this job? I can do this job. Why are they paying, you know, thousands of dollars to have your work, to pay for your work permit when I can do your job kind of thing? Um, Or, you know, you're just, you're from Jamaica. You don't know anything. You don't have any experience in this sort of thing. So, yeah, I mean, there is that. Yeah. There is that. Uh, So don't, I mean, anybody who thinks that moving to America is going to solve their problems, no. It's not. And it's, for me, for me, it was harder living in America than it is living here because, first of all, you have sunshine here, right? Second of all, you don't have to travel two hours to get everywhere. I mean, unless you're going to the country, right? Mm -hmm. You know, transportation is not, even though we complain about public transportation here, public transportation is not as bad as you would think. Where I live in Maryland, the bus was like 15-minute walk. Like literally, and then you don't know when the bus is coming. Like it might come every hour. And if you miss the bus, you have to wait another hour. And then, you know, transportation is very expensive. So even getting a taxi, you know, I'm spending like $20 just to go from, and that's not my full, that's not my full uh, route, you know, that's just to get to the train station. So people, I think people think that, oh, you know, living in America, no, definitely not. And as much as I was celebrated where I was and I had CEO was like a family friend, you know what I mean? So I had somebody kind of watching over and looking out for me and stuff like that. Okay. You know what I mean? So it's a little bit different and somebody kind of, you know, kind of like a mentor to guide me and stuff like that. I definitely think there's so much opportunity here. And I mean, I talk about it all the time. I mean, just look at what we're doing with Love Not Likes. I mean... Mm -hmm. And this is, we've just scratched the surface, really, of yeah. what we do. Jamaica is ripe for investment. There's a lot of things happening. The government has really invested in the creative careers and creative industry. Mm-hmm. So I definitely think there is more opportunity here, especially if you're a creative. Talk about, I see a lot of people complain about it on Twitter, like, they complain about not having opportunities being a creative. But I think that there's more opportunity now in 2020 than mm. there was in, you know, 2002 when I graduated from art school. Like, you have people coming here to Jamaica. Like, Lori Harvey came here the other day. She did, like, a full-on film, you mm. know? She did a whole film just about her trip to Jamaica. There's just so much opportunity. But you have to create space for it right? You have to find the space. I agree. So even like the podcasting, podcast is very new 
to Jamaica. But there's just the range of things that we could talk about, you know, in terms of topics, just endless. Like, you know, I want to do a marketing podcast. And talk mm, about- sounds awesome. Yeah, we, we're planning on doing it. Um, I'm just not sure when. Um, you know, you could talk about, uh, you could just have a podcast about weed. I think there's actually one just talking about weed and like weed. Obviously, I'm not on it because I don't smoke weed. But, mm-hmm. you know, there there's just the possibilities. I think even even like, you know, if you, you notice like the finance, finance Twitter, you know, they're talking about stocks and investing and stuff like that. I think that and even doctors, like there's a whole doctor influencer community where they're That's coming you know, up. Yeah, I see that too. Yeah, they're educating you, yeah. on, you know, all this, all of this stuff. So I think that the possibilities for that, and then without getting in too much trouble, you know, traditional media, you know, because I, I talk about it all the time, where the attention is. So I did a presentation the other day to a group of students, um, high school students. They're not watching TV; they're online, and so we have to go where the attention is and so digital is definitely where people are they're definitely online they're on their phones they're on they're surfing the web they're on instagram they're on youtube youtube mm-hmm. is the second social media network as of 2019 so it mm-hmm. definitely needs to be a place where we're spending attention our attention on that's where people are you know uh, based on the research it's mostly boys mostly men i mean mm-hmm. women men are are online and they're they're playing video games and they're um watching you know comedy skits mm-hmm. you know they're mm-hmm. you know people doing all kind of crazy things and they're watching stunts and they're watching car reviews and stuff like that and that's the thing like i feel like there's those in terms of content in term, and in terms of diverse content, there are just so many opportunities um, that I have not been capitalized on and have not. And, I, and I'm not even talking about necessarily being uh, sponsored, although I think it's changing. I think that because I've had discussions with um, brands and they're like, well, you know, I'm not getting the return on my investment in traditional media. I know I need to be there. But I'm not, I don't feel like I'm getting the ROI, you know. And so these new, this new media, like this, these podcasts somewhere where we could be, where people are, you know, you like yourself, you have your niche community and your niche community, you know, they're very, they're very loyal. You know, they're listening to the podcast, mm-hmm. you know, they're invested in you and stuff like that. So you might not get like, you know, a, a whole bag of ROI on it, but you're still able to have that presence, you know, in spaces where you know the attention is. So I could talk about this all day. By I realize. <laughs> <laughs> it sounds like we started the podcast, the marketing podcast right now. <laughs> <laughs> but that's pretty, that's pretty great because it's not just young people that are on social media. It's, it's our grandmas and, you know, great grandmas who are still here, but, and grandparents. And it's something that you're right. We definitely need to invest in and continue to grow in. So we're really grateful for you, uh, to you for sharing that with us and also what you had to deal with in both landscapes. It's an eye-opener, especially for those who believe that um, America is the land that you need to go or any foreign country. Every country has its challenges and its perks. And that's something that we need to be aware of. Uh, thank you so much for pointing out that Jamaica is ripe for investment. And one thing that we're not doing as Jamaicans is investing in our own country. We're allowing, uh, hope, hopefully getting in trouble for this or not, but um, we're not. We're allowing foreigners to come here and, you know, take, create their own spaces or take up spaces. And before you know it, there, there is not going to be enough space left for us. So we definitely need to take charge of that and become more invested in our country and who we are as a people. So thank you so much for mentioning, uh, mentioning that. I also know that you did something with Kingston Creative, and they're also very passionate about the creative industry in Jamaica. So we could talk about a lot. <laughs> I know we're on the same uh, levels as it relates to creativity and also you know, spaces and so forth. Let's uh, uh, wrap up in three questions. The next I don't know how you said it all in uh, half an hour. 
<laughs> I know, right? We're, we're kind of over. So thank you so much if you're still listening. Uh, thank you for being patient with us and listening to us passing the 30 minutes. We really appreciate that. So, Kessie, tell me, what makes you a proud Jamaican? I would say that I'm a proud Jamaican because, you know, even though I've lived abroad, I've never changed the way I speak. I've never tried to like adapt, you know, to, you know, the foreign country. Cause I've lived, I've, we've lived in Rome as well. So I've always kind of decided that even though my accent might sound as weird, it's still, I've still tried to maintain, you know, that Jamaican-ness. I think, like I said, Jamaica is a beautiful country. I, to me, the most beautiful in the world. And people always ask me like, where do you want to travel to? And I'm like, you know, I've, I've pretty much traveled. Like, I've done Europe. You know, I've done some parts of the States and stuff like that. I don't really want to go anywhere else. I, in my process, I don't really, I want to see more of Jamaica. There mm-hmm. are places in Jamaica that I haven't seen that I want to. I've never been to Spanish Bridge. I've Me never neither. been to, mm-hmm. um, what is it? That, is it Blue Lagoon? No, not, I've been to the one in Portland, but there's a Blue Hole. I've never been to Blue Hole. Mm-hmm. You know? Um, I've never been to glistening waters. Like, and these are the, these are the things. People are coming in droves here. Droves to come and see all these things. And I've never done that. And that's kind of too why we started Love Not Likes. Because we wanted to travel to these places and showcase the very best of the island. That's kind of part of our initiative is really to show the best of Jamaica. And which is why... You know, the Ministry of um, Culture, Gender, Entertainment and Sport has come to us to help them like with Reggae Month because, you know, we're showcasing the very best of what Jamaica has to offer. And a lot of these places are free or if not free, it's not a lot of money to get into. And I think I think Jamaicans have a tendency to feel like, you know, there's not no not, not good about Jamaica. But there there is. There's a lot to see. And I mean, it's gorgeous gorgeous beaches you know um and the people too i mean like i said i've been everywhere that i have ever been in the world i tell them i'm jamaican oh my gosh they go crazy they're like oh my god you're from jamaica especially in rome i remember that the you know they just love and when i went to rome it was during the time that the reggae boys were were had just finished just wrapped up the world cup so I mean, it was like you know, oh my God! When I went to I went to France, I went to Paris during that time, and the, I mean, the taxi driver he just went crazy. He's like, oh my God, you're from Jamaica! Oh my God! Mm-hmm. They don't do that so so much in in the states, but <laughs> definitely in other parts of the world. So yeah, I do I do have I do feel very proud of all that we've achieved. I mean, even like and still achieving, even like you know, coffee the other day, winning a Grammy, being the youngest and the first woman. To win a Grammy in the reggae category, I think is just amazing, um, and I, I just think that we have we have so much of, ahead of us as a country. Like we have so much more to achieve, um, and I see so much more for us. Like in terms of being even more renowned across the world. Okay, so big up Jamaica. <laughs> yeah, big up Jamaica. <laughs> yes. So two more questions to go. If there's one question that you could ask yourself in this interview, what would it be? This is a question that I would ask myself. Um, you know, where do you see yourself in five, ten years? And kind of who is the person that you were, you want to be? And do you want to be doing the same thing that you're doing now? And you could um, briefly answer that one. I'm going to try briefly answer. <laughs> <laughs> well, this is the thing, right? So I always want to stay one step ahead, right? I never want to get complacent and think, okay, that even what I'm doing now is going to be able to sustain itself for a long term. So what we're trying to do now is get the bloggers and the influencers that I manage because I manage a group of them, get them to a level where they can create opportunities for themselves and monetize themselves, whether that be through sponsorships, brand partnerships. And we also don't want to just focus on Jamaica. We want to be international. So we want to have brand partnerships all over the world, 
with all different kinds of brands. Like I said, we focus on travel and lifestyle. Mm-hmm. So, you know, some of the bloggers that I work with, they do, they travel, they do group travel. So that's something that I want to focus on and also create opportunity for residual income. So basically, you know, whether that be affiliate marketing or, um, I mean, we're kind of doing it now, but, you know, whether that be affiliate marketing or, you know, group trips. So a lot of them, they do local travel as well, to be able to have their group trips and be able to monetize based on their on under niche communities so building out a niche communities to saying okay you know i have a subscriber if i can get 10 subscribers i can take them to you know somewhere and make money that way it's just really living life on your own terms right and not allowing not feeling that you have to have a job a nine to five be a slave to a nine to five and not being able to sustain you know having the freedom right I want to be able to have the freedom that I can go because me and my friends talk about it all the time. I can say, all right, let's go, you know, to Tulum, Tulum in Mexico for two weeks and not have to worry. Like I can still work basically the digital nomad lifestyle. Okay. Sounds fantastic. Yeah. I do have a question, but I can't ask it now because it will be going through. Uh, It will be too long. Um, which is why I'm looking forward. We're looking forward to your marketing podcast. And <laughs> the final question is, what would you like to say to Jamaicans here and abroad, creating their own paths for success? And I said it before, it's, you know, really need, you need to find the spaces. You need to find the, spa- the empty spaces in the market, the gaps in the market that are not being um, utilized. And that obviously depends on what your interests are right and what your niche is but that's what we talk about you know we talk about niche Mm -hmm. you know finding that sweet spot where you are you can own and you can dominate in that area because there is a lot of opportunity here we also have a i think we also have a very large retirement community i don't know i don't know what the population stats are but i get the sense that we do have like you know, this retirement community who they have the money to spend and they, they, and I think they need stuff to do. Like they need opportunities and also for the kids too. Mm-hmm. You know, there are not a lot of spaces for kids to really, I mean, if you really think about it, we live in Kingston and there's only Hope Gardens and Emancipation Park really as like public spaces to, to run up and down and be free. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a, you know, I think there's a lot of opportunities there for there, you know, create, create for the kids and for the, the, the yeah, yeah which are two important you know groups that we really need to put at the forefront of society i think jamaica will get there speaking to you has been awesome you also gave me an idea for an app we actually just launched our interview with joel dean who's a software developer at wordpress Probably I could throw this app idea at him, but you gave me an idea to have an app. I even have the name. It would be Spaces, and we'll have different spaces for different groups because I believe that Jamaica, as small as we are, we are not as um, connected. So I always wanted to do something for elders because after retirement, what do you do, right? So the Spaces app, and I'm winning here, the Spaces app will be a, a network for elders and also different opportunities that can happen for them whether it's um charity link ups whatever they have to offer because they do have a lot of richness um to give to this society still in terms of mentorship and and just offering overall advice to us the younger generation and we i believe that jamaica can get there if all all groups are respected and valued and we can learn from each other and come together to create that society that we're looking for in 2030, as they like to say. And thank you so much, Kessie. It was awesome speaking to you. Looking forward to what you're doing. Talawa will definitely stay connected and we're rooting for you here at Talawa. And also, you never know, something that we need to speak to off air is um, probably collaborate for a children's books, uh, book because that's what I do. I write children's books. Oh, awesome. Yeah, so we'll speak. So thank you so much for listening to Talawa. Once again, we have Kessie Gardner, our phenomenal guest here. Thank you for listening, watching. Please subscribe. Please stay tuned for more on Talawa. Bless.